We are creatures of desire. What we most desire is meaning. What makes us suffer most is a lack of meaning. The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. Marital therapist, author, and communications trainer Andrew G. Marshall invites guests from all walks of life to discuss what makes life meaningful. Hello, I'm Andrew G. Marshall. Welcome to The Meaningful Life. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Podbeam, Amazon Music, and wherever you find your podcasts. Forgiveness allows your heart to heal and for the love to be revived. But can everything be forgiven? My witness today is the founder of an international program called Circles of Forgiveness. And also, he has started an annual conference on forgiveness. Olivia Clare is a workshop leader, a translator, and the author of The Gift of Forgiveness. And the book we'll be focusing on today, Healing the Wounds of the Heart, 15 Obstacles to Forgiveness and How to Overcome Them. Now, your journey started with a life-changing experience in Mexico. Tell us about the man who made the journey halfway across the globe. (laughs) Uh, Yes, my journey started when I was lucky to translate and published in French, Don Miguel Ruiz. His uh, main book called The Four Agreements, originally released in 1997 in the US, uh, became a huge and, and still is a huge world bestseller. And I was lucky to get to know Miguel before he was so famous and to travel to Mexico and spend a week of retreats with him. And that's where I went through a a life-changing experience around forgiveness, which was not at all part of the program of this trip. So sometimes we're prepared in some way for these life-changing moments. Why did you need to learn about forgiveness? Good question. I don't really know the answer. What I do know is that I had been on a spiritual path for about 15 years before meeting Don Miguel. So I was indeed prepared in some way to have something like that happen to me. I knew that this could be really beneficial to me. And I always say there was a before and and after this trip. It, It really changed something deep inside of me. It took me 10 years actually to write about it. Uh, the Gift of Forgiveness was, was written 10 years later because I needed to digest and incorporate the powerful gift he had made uh, to me then. So did this trip actually involve going to, and I'm going to see if I can get the pronunciation right, Teotihuacan? Is that correct? Teotihuacan, yes. The city where man becomes God, yes. Yeah. And I've been a couple of times because my partner is Mexican. And so we've been to the temples there. We've climbed up the Sun and the Moon Temple, which is quite a climb. And Don Miguel's work is actually involved using some of the ideas from this culture, isn't it? Yes. He was born and raised in that culture with also a strong Christian side to it. You you can see this if you read any of his books. And there's a book that was published before The Four Agreements that few people know about that's called Beyond Fear, written with Mary Carol Nelson. And in this book, you find the 10-step process which Miguel and other Toltec teachers lead you through on this amazing site of Teotihuacan, leading up to the Pyramid of the Sun as the last and final step. So it gives a a really good idea of, of what we've been going through with Miguel when we were there on the spot. I mean, the place is just absolutely immense. I mean, it is difficult to imagine how big it is. And you can have thousands of people there and it almost feels like you're alone because the place is so huge. So talk us through this experience for you and how it changed you. Well, first of all, I mean, when we got there, we started, uh, as I said, this 10-step process on the grounds. And then each evening we would find ourselves in the hotel This hotel was actually on the five kilometers long alley of the death that runs through the whole place. And on the second night, some really strange things happened. First of all, Don Miguel asks me to come up. We're just a small group. We're lucky because he's not yet that famous. So we're less than 20 people. 
And he asked me to stand up and, and come to him. And he offers me a, a little gift all wrapped up in silk paper. So I'm a, a bit surprised. Why me? Uh, and I opened the, the little gift. And here is a, a small crystal jaguar. And I should have known what jaguar was the symbol of because I had translated already two of his books, The Four Agreements plus The Mastery of Love. But I totally forgot. So when Miguel asked me, do you know why I'm making this gift to you? I have this huge answer. I say, oh, just because I had my birthday two days ago. <laughs> you know, like if Don Miguel was making gifts to any participants that was having his or her birthday during the trip. And of course, Don Miguel says, no, 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 no not at all. He says, I'm taking you as my apprentice. Wow. Now, when he says this, It's such a huge surprise for me, first, because I am not coming to Mexico to look for a spiritual guide. I have everything at home. I'm just fine with this. Second, because we were told that Don Miguel was not taking any more apprentices and that anyone wanting to start apprenticeship would do so with one of his trained Nagal, Brent Morgan, who was there also. So it came as a full surprise to me. That was the first surprising thing. And there I was, you know, not knowing if I should accept or not, very honored on one side to have this offer, very bothered on the other because I didn't know <laughs> if it was compatible with my own spiritual training. And then comes this unique moment where he tells me, please, I would like you to, to kneel down in front of that woman on, on my left and ask her forgiveness. Now, imagine one second... What would you do if you were in my place? You're in Mexico in this just amazing, beautiful place. You're with a nice group. You have this amazing man here, Don Miguel. And he suddenly asks you to kneel down in front of a lady there asking forgiveness. And you don't even know why. Well, if it was me, I think I would probably go with the flow and hope for the best. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. You know, one thing my spiritual training had taught me is that sometimes the mind just does not understand. And you have to do things to understand, not wanting to understand first and then do afterwards. So I thought, well, who knows? Maybe we have this little karma that we need to clear off. And maybe he's, you know, such a great being that he perceived something. Or maybe you stole her seat on the bus and she's got a bit of a gripe with you about it. Yeah, maybe, you know, so I'm making all sorts of assumptions, forgetting totally about the third agreement, which says, don't make assumption. And so I look at this woman and I take the time and I look at her in the eyes and I say, well, please forgive me because, and I try to find a reason, you know, like when I was a Catholic boy and, and going to the priest and trying to find some sins that I should confess. And Miguel stops me and says, no, don't try to find a reason, just ask forgiveness from her, and then move on to the next participant and do the same and go around the whole circle. Now, I thought I had just this little karma to clear with that woman, and I realized I have now to keep going through the whole circle, kneeling down in front of each participant and asking for forgiveness. And then something strange starts happening, because by the time I reach the third or fourth person, I'm looking at this woman And suddenly it's not her that I'm seeing, but my own mother, who oh. is in Switzerland, thousands of miles away from there. And I realized that asking forgiveness from that participant is just a way for me to clear any unfinished business, any emotions, any stuff that is blocking the full flow of love from me. So that's very surprising. And then again, three person later, I'm in front of that man this time. And again, when I'm looking at him, suddenly I'm no longer seeing him, but I'm seeing a former colleague I worked with for about 10 years and our relationship was really difficult. And through that participant in the group, I'm able to release the tensions, the unfinished businesses again with that former colleague. And suddenly I get it. This is not a personal thing. I barely know these people. We've been together for less than 48 hours. But through them, I can ask forgiveness from anyone on this planet, alive or dead, close or very far, and free myself of all the grudges, of all the resentment, of all the hatred that might have accumulated over the past 38 years. So suddenly I understand that it's a purely transpersonal process. 
And were the reasons why you might have needed to forgive your mother? Oh, goodness. <laughs> I think all of us, or at least most of us, as far as I know, have had some issues with their parents, be it their dad or their mom. In my own case, I had a, had a very difficult relationship with my mother for almost 20 years. So in spite of all the work I had done once I was an adult, I could see there was still stuff that needed just to be released, to be cleansed, to be, uh, you know, let go. And that was just the first step of a four-step process, which I describe in The Gift of Forgiveness. The second step after that is that Don Miguel asked me to come up and come to him. And he asked me something very surprising. We've actually changed it now in the circles of forgiveness. He asked me to ask forgiveness from the devil. Wow. That's surprising, is it not? And he said something very interesting. He said, you know, we are using the devil. We are using dark forces or whatever as a reason to keep our own hearts shut. Ah. And there I understood that he was actually asking me to ask forgiveness from all the people we demonize, we turn into demons, because we consider they are responsible for the evil on this planet. So what in psychology we often call scapegoats, you know? Exactly. That's exactly the, the word we are using in Circle of Forgiveness. In the second step, we ask participants to ask forgiveness from their scapegoats. And we know that we have uh, so many of them. And if you don't have any, just read the newspapers, just open the news on TV, and you will be told who you can hate today. Yeah. Which is something pretty amazing. I mean, we can spend so much time sending out our hatreds, our judgments against people we don't even know. And I mean, sometimes our scapegoats are our nearest and dearest. You know, we blame them for holding us back or trapping us or whatever. There's something about us that seems to want to find scapegoats because I suppose it's easier to be annoyed with somebody else than to be annoyed with ourselves. Yes, exactly. And, and I found that so interesting. He was not telling me, ask forgiveness from them for what they're doing. What they're doing is their own responsibility. But what am I doing with what they're doing, with what they're saying? That's my responsibility. And, you know, I closed my eyes for a few seconds and I did ask forgiveness from all my scapegoats. And I could feel just this huge release, you know, this decision. I will not use what people do on this planet on a daily basis as a reason to hate, as a reason to shut my heart. Things happen, we, we know that, but I can still keep an open heart, keep a heart that is free and, and loving. So that was the second step. And what was the third step? Well, again, in his own words, Don Miguel asked me, ask forgiveness from God. Now, again, in circles of forgiveness, I've changed that because a lot of people have an issue today with the word God especially here in France and maybe in other parts of the globe. So I say, ask forgiveness from what for you represents what is greater than us. It may be nature. It may be the source. It may be the universe called the Atman, call it whatever you want. So in this way, people may appropriate this suggestion in a way that fits them. So Miguel asked me, ask forgiveness from God. And he said, we can even use God as a reason to keep our hearts shut. How do we do that? Oh, very simply. I immediately thought of something. Have you never heard someone say, where was God in concentration camps? Yep. Where is God when a woman is raped, when a child is the victim of a pedophile? So when we do that, we do use God. We do use what is most sacred, most divine, most beautiful as a reason to judge, as a reason to hate and to keep our own heart shut. So... Often I say, you know, in circles of forgiveness, I say something you may try one day is just ask forgiveness from life, from life, from all living things on this planet. This is so, so much greater than us. Is what you're saying, forgive fate for the cards it has dealt us? Yes, yes, exactly. You know, what I find fantastic about this process, we'll talk about the fourth and final step afterwards, is that it's a way to reconcile ourselves with our own life, with what life is offering us and making the best out of it. I mean, all I can say is this seems incredibly difficult. But before we talk about that, let's look at the fourth step. 
Yes, the fourth and final step, and Don Miguel was nice enough to tell me it would be the most difficult of, of all. Oh dear. Because I'm finding the first three quite difficult. He said, now I ask you to ask forgiveness from yourself. And why I'm saying that it's the most difficult? Well, because we are so judging towards ourselves. I'm amazed by the level of lack of self-esteem, lack of self-respect, lack of self-love that is prevailing in this society. It's incredible. So few people are able to appreciate themselves, to be good, to be nice to themselves, to love themselves. So if he had asked me that to start with, it would have been impossible for me. But because there was one, two, three steps before that, then I I got to the point where I could finally, humbly ask forgiveness from myself for all the different times in my life where I just was not there for me, for myself. That sounds absolutely beautiful. What was the impact of all of this on you? Well, when I did that final request, I closed my eyes and I asked forgiveness from myself. It was like, you know, the metaphor that came to my mind was a huge dam behind which for 38 years had accumulated the waters of hatred, judgment, resentment, dark waters, muddy waters. And suddenly the dam exploded and all these dark waters were able to flow out of my heart. So I really had what what is called, I think, a peak experience, you know, something like a rebirth. Like It was just incredible. I was raised in a religion where forgiveness is very important, the Catholic Church. But honestly, I had never understood anything about what it truly was until that moment, until that experience. Out of interest, how did it impact on your relationship with your mother? Oh, my relationship to my mother was already pretty good at that time, but I think it gave an even deeper level of love, of understanding, of appreciation of who she was. Of Yeah, I mean, so often our judgments are so superficial. We don't understand who the people are, where they come from, where they've grown, in, in what conditions, at what times, why... Did they develop the way they have developed? And the more you understand people, the less you can judge them, you know? And that's one of the great things that this path of forgiveness has brought in my life is a capacity that, that has, uh, I wouldn't say totally disappeared. That would not be true, but so much lesson to judge others. Who am I to judge anyone else? And you have a beautiful image that I'm going to ask you to elucidate on, which is that we are bamboo people. So tell us about bamboo people. The story of the Chinese bamboo? Yeah, it's a metaphor I like a lot because it said that that particular kind of bamboo, when you plant a seed, nothing happens the first year. So you may think, well, too bad the seed was no good. And nothing happens the second, nor the third, the fourth, or until the fifth year where suddenly your bamboo shoots will grow like 15 meters in in a very short time. And the reason for that is that while you think nothing is happening, actually the bamboo shoot is weaving an amazing set of roots underground. And then when it starts showing up in the air, in the light, then it has the strength of all these roots to grow much faster than anything else around. And I like to say that there are bamboo kids, you know, those, those poor kids at school, you say, well, they're not good. They'll never learn anything. They'll never amount to anything because they are building these deep roots until the moment they are ready. And suddenly you see them grow and develop in a fantastic way. So I think it's a, it's a nice metaphor. I was a bamboo kid myself, so I know about that. So we've come a long way in this discussion and we've yet to actually define forgiveness. So I think we should do that, shouldn't we? What do you have in mind? I don't know. I think I should have your definition of forgiveness, because I think we need to make certain we're all, all talking about the same thing. Yes, actually, I'm very fond of definitions because I've I've translated over 100 books. I've written 25 myself, and I realize a lot of people use the same words with very different meanings. So I define the words I use in all my books. And after having worked many years with forgiveness, I ended up defining it in very simple ways. The first and easiest is that for me, forgiveness is the healing of the heart, healing the wounds of the heart, because all of us 
have a heart that's been wounded in different ways during our childhood, adolescence, and so on. And we know how to heal the body and its wounds, but with the heart, we can remain years or even decades with a heart that is wounded and that is uh, bleeding and that is suffering. So forgiveness for me is the royal path to this healing, which gives a very different understanding from what I had in Catholic Church, where I thought that forgiveness was a gift I was making to someone else. Whereas forgiveness is first and foremost something we do to ourselves. Finally, heal this heart and be able to love again and to know joy again. And I think that we've learned as children a lot of sort of pseudo-forgiveness where, you know, you have a fight with somebody at school and the teacher says, you know, I want you to apologise to them. What sort of long-term impact do you think that has on us? I don't think that is very efficient. I think this, this is very far remote from what is true forgiveness. People ask me a lot of questions about circles of forgiveness, about my work, and I always answer, this is something you cannot understand with your mind. This is something you must experience. And if you do it, you will discover it, you will experience it by yourself. You can read a thousand books on sexuality, even when you're 10 years old. You won't know anything about a sexual experience until you have one. And in spirituality in general, and in the area of forgiveness and the heart in particular, this is so true. And that's one reason why I wanted Circles of Forgiveness to be a non-profit organization so that it remains at a very low price and anyone can go live a circle once or twice or 10 times if needed without spending too much money on it. And so the circles are a bit like what you experienced with Don Miguel. You go round the circle and ask people for forgiveness. Is that how it works? They are based on that experience, but I wanted the process to be very soft. So there are several steps before that. A circle lasts from two to three hours, so it's pretty short, but it's long enough. I developed a process that allows people to slowly go up to that final uh, ritual. Because as I said, I, I, I arrived in Mexico with 15 years of spiritual experience behind me. And maybe that's the reason why Don Miguel singled me out in this group. I, I'll never know. My circles are open to anyone. I have people from all walks of life that are attending. And I want the process to be both as soft and as powerful as possible. So I added a certain number of uh, preliminary exercises that prepare people for the final ritual. So the part of it that really interests me that I'm sort of trying to get my head around is the idea if you can't forgive somebody that you knock on the opposite door. So tell me about that. Yes, our listeners have probably been aware that at no point in the story I just told did Miguel ask me to forgive. Never. Four times he asked me to ask forgiveness from others, to ask forgiveness from my scapegoats, ask forgiveness from God, and finally ask forgiveness from myself. So that is very surprising because all of us, we are trying to forgive. And here is someone who teaches me how to ask for forgiveness. So it may sound like a complete turnaround of anything we know about it, and it may seem very surprising. I have developed that in length in, in the book you mentioned, Healing the Wounds of the Heart, because it seemed a little bit difficult to understand first. But our actual understanding of forgiveness is that we need to wait for someone to apologize, and then maybe we'll be able to forgive. If it's a really good apology, yes. Yes, if it's a really good apology and if we're ready to do so, which is not always the case. Now, imagine somebody has done something really bad to you years ago, but now that person is dead or that person is living in Australia or that person has never been aware of how much hurt he or she did to you. And so that person will never, ever come and apologize, never ask forgiveness from you. So what does that mean? That you'll never heal? that you spend your whole life in suffering, in sadness, in, in, in anger. And sometimes they're doing these things not for any sort of 
nefarious or dark purposes. It's just, you know, they were doing life the way they thought was best and they ended up hurting you. So they're not yes. going to, they're not going to ask for forgiveness because they're not really aware that they've done anything particularly bad. They don't know that somehow they've managed to find your soft spot and shoved a knife in and turned it round. They're oblivious to this. They had perhaps even good intentions. Yes, exactly. And you know, when I define forgiveness as healing the wounds of the heart, what does that mean? That means I have my heart that is wounded. I'm bleeding, symbolically speaking. I'm hurting and I want to heal. If I'm in the streets and somebody attacks me with a knife and hurts me in the arm and then runs away and there I am bleeding on the sidewalk, what am I going to do? Am I going to sit on the sidewalk and wait for that person to come back with everything to heal my wound? Or am I going to take care of that wound myself if it's superficial or go to a doctor, to a nurse, to a hospital if it's a deeper wound? The strange thing is that it seems obvious for the body that we can seek help and heal our wounds with many people around us. But when it comes to the wounds of the heart, we expect the person who has done something bad to us to be the one who is going to cure us. And we can wait years like this. And the, the most important message is that we can heal even if the other person is not aware of it. Even if that person has understood nothing, has changed nothing, has not apologized, we can heal and we can be free of the past and of what happened to us. And that is such great news. So let's suggest, for example, we're thinking about an ex-partner, somebody that we were in a relationship with, and in their, they, they hurt us and we're still in pain. What are we asking for forgiveness for? Well, again, what is particular about the process that I share and teach is that you have two ways of doing it. Either you read the book and you do it all alone at home as a forgiveness meditation, or you do it in a circle, which I think is the most powerful way. But in both cases, uh, well, it's a bit different. In a group, you just see what is happening. You find yourself face to face with one, two, 10, 15, maybe 20 people, and you see what is happening when you look at someone. You may suddenly see the face of a grandmother, of a parent, of somebody else. I've heard that thousands of times over the past 12 years, so people are used to that experience. If you do it alone, of course, as, as an inner meditation, you will close your eyes and you will let the faces appear on your inner screen of people you have a problem with, you have an issue. So it might be an ex-partner, as you mentioned. And if you are ready inside, if you are ready to let go, to free yourself, you, you know, we say to hold a grudge. And when I hold a grudge, something is tight inside of me and I am suffering. If I forgive, there's the word give into forgive, same in French, same in German, then something lets go inside. So if I'm ready to let go, to be able to look in the eyes, in my, my inner screen, at my ex-partner, at my ex-wife, at my whoever, and to say, please forgive me. Just please forgive me. Not add anything, just please forgive me and see what happens inside you, inside your heart, inside your solar plexus when you just pronounce these simple words. So you're not asking for forgiveness for the grudge you're holding against that person. You're just asking for forgiveness from them. Yes. And that's what I like about it is that we don't add anything. It's just a way of reopening the gates of our love. You know, after having done that hundreds of times, I've led hundreds of circles of forgiveness. I realized at some point that with every person I had in front of me, I was just asking forgiveness from love. Because when I shut myself from love from you or from or anyone else, I'm just shutting myself from love, period. And so there's this amazing capacity of humility, of letting go. You know, humility is the same root as human, as humus, the ground. And I believe only in a type of forgiveness that comes from humility, from letting go on the ground, all these grudges that I was carrying on my back and that are putting so much weight on my shoulders. And 
with 10 years, 12 years of feedback, you know, I'm amazed to see how people change not only their relationships, but even their health, because finally they find a way to release what they have been holding on to for so many years. So let's look at some of the obstacles to forgiveness that people are going at this precise moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of them is forgiveness is weakness. What do you say to that? Oh, I could answer quoting Gandhi. Gandhi was saying exactly the opposite. He said, forgiveness is not for the weak. Forgiveness requires great courage. And it is so true. I don't think it's any kind of strength to keep the grudges, to keep the hate, to keep the resentment inside. It, it takes indeed great courage to be able to say, I will release what blocks me inside. I will open myself again to love, open myself again to joy, whatever has happened to me in my life. So honestly, I think it's just exactly the opposite. It, it does require a lot of courage to let go. So here's another one. Forgiving condones the other person's behavior. Yes, that's the number one on the list because that's a big reason why people won't forgive because they think if I forgive, then I'm saying, oh, it's okay. That wasn't that bad. Let's go have a drink at the closest bar. No, that's not it. When I say forgiveness is healing the wounds of the heart, healing the heart doesn't mean losing my mind. I can both heal my heart and have as much discernment, as much wisdom as is required in my mind, in my intellect, and be able to know that what was done was not okay. There are laws that condemn this, and I can even go to court. I can even go to the police station because something was done to me. But I'll go not to seek revenge. I'll go to seek justice because it is important for the other person to be confronted to the consequences of their acts. But I'll do that because it needs to be done and with my own heart at peace. Forgiveness would involve feeling guilty. Yes, that's again something very strong in our Judeo-Christian background. And that's one reason why people don't like to hear about forgiveness because they think they're going to start feeling all sorts of guilt. That's not the kind of forgiveness I'm teaching. I'm teaching forgiveness that is allowing me to become aware of how unconsciously I have played a major role in my own wounds, in my own suffering. I had the key of my jail in my pocket. I just didn't know it. So I've spent months and years suffering just because I didn't know. So the forgiveness I teach is about awareness. It's about responsibility, but it's not about being guilty. Most of us, we do what we do because we've been raised that way, because all of our society functions that way, even the cartoons on TV for children are about guilt, are about judgment, are about accusation. So we've copied that and we don't need to feel guilty about it. We just need to become aware of how we are functioning and then take the responsibility to change that. So we've talked about your four progressive requests for forgiveness, but you do use other models for forgiveness in the book as well. You use Fred Luskin, who's been a guest on this podcast, so I suggest people listen to what he has to say, the radical forgiveness and the Hawaiian approach. So let's look at radical forgiveness. What's radical forgiveness? Yes, if I may just explain before that, in this second book, I wanted to stress forgiveness more than my own specific program, which is called Circle of Forgiveness. Because take health, for instance, some people like to reach it with allopathy, others with aromatherapy, essential oils, plants, acupuncture. Health is more important than the specific medicine you use to reach it. And I wanted my readers to be aware that if one way of reaching forgiveness hasn't worked for them, there are others. So I presented the four you, you, you mentioned. So you're asking me about Colin Tipping? Yeah, radical forgiveness. Sounds interesting. Yes, it's a, it's a very particular approach. I was lucky to know the late Colin Tipping, who came to one of our conferences on forgiveness in France. And his approach is indeed radical, because in his book, he says, at some point, you understand that nothing unfair, unjust ever happened to you. So there isn't even a reason to forgive. 
Now, this may seem such an amazing and unbelievable statement that something may totally block inside and say, well, how can you say something like this? You don't realize how hurt I was and so on. But Colin Tipping was working a lot with people dying. They had only a few days, weeks, or months at the most to live because of cancer or other illnesses. And by using, using this complete reversal of understanding, which is very developed in his book, he managed to have amazing releases. People who finally were able to die in peace, having forgiven, having let go, whereas until then, everything they tried just did not function. And we'll put details of that book in the show notes as well. And then you've got the idea of the Hawaiian approach. Yes, Ho'oponopono has been has become quite popular, I would say, for the past maybe 10, 15 years. And uh, I like it a lot. It's very simple. There are four sentences, four steps again in it. It's very easy to remember. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. So it's a process that is using four virtues, four qualities. That's beautiful. Let's just have those four things again, please. I'm sorry. First, being sorry. When I say I'm sorry, I realize I've done something bad to you. I've hurt you, be it consciously or unconsciously. So I'm sorry is taking responsibility, feeling empathy, compassion for what I have done to somebody else. Second, please forgive me. And we find again, Forgiveness, which is, to me, the key, the central point of the four steps in, in Oponopono. Third, I love you. Once the heart is free, once it no longer has these grudges, resentments, and hatred, then yes, you realize that the other is, is you, and you feel that love flowing, and it comes as something natural. I've experienced that so many times in circles of forgiveness too, where by the end of the circle, when people say, uh, please forgive me, they're just saying, I love you. And finally, one, thank you, gratitude. In my workshops, I say forgiveness is the healing of the heart. Then gratitude is the song of the heart. Because once the heart is healed, it feels like just giving thanks and spreading these songs of gratitude for everything from morning to evening. So next, we're going to sort of see how it might work on the ground. I've got a letter and we're going to see what a forgiveness window to this would look like. The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and visit our website, andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcast, where you can join our supporters club and unlock bonus material and other benefits. Guess how long I've been helping couples have more fulfilling relationships? The answer shocked me. 39 years. Over this time, I've developed all sorts of interventions to help couples communicate better and make meaningful changes to protect and nurture their love. Some ideas I've used for a while and dropped, but at the core, there are a handful of must-haves that I use with all the couples I see face-to-face. Sadly, I can't work with everyone who wants my help, but I can share my best relationship tools. I've put them in a new course with worksheets and links to my most helpful podcasts. There are four hours of instructions to do at your pace together, with your partner or on your own. And it normally retails at £150. But to launch, I've dropped them to a special introductory price of £99.50. If you'd like to find out more, go to andrewgmarshall.com forward slash tools and get started on improving your relationship. So there are lots of ways of getting involved in The Meaningful Life. You can join our Substack newsletter, details on the website that I'm going to give you in a moment. And you could also send in a letter and we will read it out. I will find somebody, hopefully, who's going to have something interesting to say. And I'm very interested in looking at this one through the eyes of forgiveness. I've been married for 29 years. About five and a half years ago, 
I discovered that my wife was having an passionate online affair with her first lover from her college days. She stayed in the marriage, but very reluctantly. She was going through the menopause, and I believe she saw the relationship with him as something that would save her from her humdrum life. We do on occasions have discussions about the issues leading up to and including the infidelity. Our two different approaches clash. My desire is for us to talk, but hers is to move forward and not look back. I do feel there are unspoken things between us that need to be brought into the open. Her default response when she gets frustrated is something along the lines, look, I know you're going to leave me, so just do it and get on with it. I try to reassure her, which doesn't work. However, it stops further discussion. She's the first of four girls in her family. She grew up in a rural community. When her sisters followed, two in quick succession after herself, her mother passed over the rearing of my wife to her paternal grandmother. I can't help wondering to what extent this may have affected her in terms of feeling rejected and abandoned. I can't help feeling that my wife's past is haunting our present. If this is true, then she has an opportunity to address some issues while her mother is alive. However, as her mother is 88 and her health deteriorating, the opportunity for that will just disappear. I feel she's going to miss out on a huge opportunity for healing. I know you might say, look, it's her problem and you can't change her, so stop trying. You know me quite well, don't you? The desire to look inward must come from herself. Can you offer insights or advice? So, what would you say coming from a forgiveness kind of framework to this? Well, there are different things that can be said about this rich letter. First of all, yes, indeed, as this man says, I think his greatest power at this point and at any point in his life is over himself. So I guess a process of forgiveness, whatever way he would choose to do so, would allow him to totally clean and cleanse any remaining feeling that this infidelity might have caused in him. You know, he seems to have worked on it already. But by experience, I know that this is a very delicate issue, experiencing infidelity and attending a workshop on forgiveness might even the the possibility to totally release something inside of him. And if he does that, What he may experience afterwards is that something will change in the relationship with his wife because a relationship is like a string that connects me to you. If I change something on my end, then the relationship itself does change. And I've heard that hundreds of times. I remember, for example, this mother who came to attend a a two days uh, weekend on forgiveness And nobody knew she was doing that in her family. And she had a big issue with her son, uh, 35 years old. And when she came back to the workshop the next morning, she said that when she went to her hotel that night, she turned on her cell phone on again. And there was a voice message from her son saying, Mom, please forgive me. Now, how on earth could he have known his mother was exactly at this time going through a forgiveness process? But in the invisible, we are connected to our loved ones. So when we change, we open a space in the relationship where they can change. But they change because they want to, because they feel like it, because they have the space for it, not because we want them to. The other thing I was thinking is that I think it's always a danger in a relationship to try to analyze the other and what they have lived and their parents and their childhood and their family it's not helping. I think the only thing that is helping is love. And when we've been wounded because there was infidelity, then we need to take care of our own wound. If we succeed in doing that, the other person will feel it. And then she or he may change in turn because the space is there for that. One of the things I would say, and I hope this will take the pressure off, just because somebody has died doesn't actually stop you from actually doing the work yourself. So, you know, this idea that your wife has only, you know, a couple of years while her mother is still alive to do the forgiveness work, I think is a red herring. You know, I'm working on stuff with my mother who's now been dead five, six years. You can still do the work even if the person is no longer alive. 
I'm so glad you're saying this because that was the second thing I had in mind. Exactly. I wanted this man to know that at any time, maybe in five years, maybe 10 years after her mother died, his wife can do the work. And I've seen, again, so many beautiful stories of people finally coming to peace with somebody deceased one, five, 10 years before. So yes, the work can be done at any time. So take that pressure off yourself and focus on how you're going to move forward with all of this. If there is stuff still in your heart that you need to talk about, I think you need to listen to yourself. It could be your wife can't hear this anymore. And in fact, what she's hearing is, you're going to leave me. So I would take two approaches. Number one, when you need to talk, I think you need to talk to yourself, probably your journal, or maybe you need to talk to a therapist about all of this stuff, because if it's still there in your heart, you need to talk about it. And if your wife is not available to talk about it, there are other people who'd be more than willing to listen to you and hear you out. But the most important person you've got to actually hear is yourself. And maybe because you've been too concerned with getting your wife to hear you, you haven't actually spent enough time focusing on hearing yourself. So I think journaling would be something that I would really like you to do. And if you don't know how to start, just start saying, today I am feeling, and just even if you sort of get stuck on that first sentence, today I'm feeling nothing. You just keep writing, I'm feeling nothing. I'm feeling nothing until something else comes through. And in that way, you begin to speak to yourself. Don't judge it. You might not even bother to read it. You might afterwards go back and highlight one or two things that actually strike you as particularly important. But you're just sort of unloading because it seems like you've got a lot of stuff inside there. And there's a second thing I would like to say. I would like you to ask your wife a curious question. And this is a curious question where you truly feel that you don't know the answer. Even if you do, pretend you don't know the answer. And that would be, why do you think I'm going to leave? You're not actually trying to reassure her. You're trying to understand from where she's standing why she thinks that you're going to leave her. Because from where she's sitting, there is a very good reason for that. And so let's just hear it. So instead of trying to convince her you're not, just keep on asking curious questions. Oh, so what's that like? And how do you feel about that? And where does that idea come from? So you're only asking curious questions and then afterwards thank her. Don't try and analyse her because you're not her therapist. You're her husband. So thank her. I think we could have a bit of that gratitude because gratitude is a way, how did you put it beautifully about how it helps the heart? Just give it back to me again, Olivia. I said gratitude is the song of the heart. Yeah. Gratitude is the song of the heart. Lovely. So one of the questions I sort of want to ask you is, when do we know if we're ready for forgiveness? I think it's very simple. The people who are attending a workshop, an evening on forgiveness or reading a book about it, it obviously means that something in them is aspiring to that. If anyone is listening to this show and feels a resonance, something triggered, then maybe it's time to start working on that. And I'd like to say something. I've experimented with spirituality methods of personal development for the past 45 years. And honestly, nothing, absolutely nothing has changed so deeply and so lastingly my life as working on healing the heart, working on forgiveness. So, and I'm not advertising for anything. I'm just saying, if you want to really change your life, then do something about healing your heart. You'll be amazed how everything can be changed. And I think I just want, and I agree with you 100%, I just want to put one note of of caution. I think we have to understand the pain before we can actually move to the point of trying to deal with the forgiveness. That sometimes we can try and rush to forgiveness before we're actually ready. Do you ever find that? Yes, and that's exactly what is said in the in the 15th, the last obstacle to forgiveness in my book, wanting to go faster than the, the music we say in French. 
forgiveness should not be a tool to judge oneself again. Oh, I'm no good because I, I cannot forgive just right now. I mean, things take time. A small wound takes a couple of days to heal, but if you had a huge car accident, you may spend a year in the hospital. So the wounds of the heart are the same. Some are minor hurts that can be healed fast. Some we know it's going to take some weeks, some months. If somebody died, maybe uh, grieving will take a year or two. So we should be gentle with ourselves and not require or demand of ourselves to go faster than we actually can. And so if you're not ready for forgiveness, please don't beat yourself up. Be gentle and kind with yourself. Exactly. So this is not where the conversation ends because I'm going to be talking about another obstacle to forgiveness. And this one's a real biggie. So we're going to be unpicking this one in the bonus material. And that's taking things too personally. It's a big, big idea. And if you'd like to hear that, we'll be doing that in the bonus material shortly. But before we go to that, thank you very much for being my witness on the meaningful life. And so I have to ask you, what makes your life meaningful, Olivier? Oh, many things. The idea of a meaningful life has been important for me very young. And I think we are on this planet for a reason. My life is meaningful because I spend my whole time, my, my whole career trying to share tools, ideas for people to improve both their personal lives, our collective existence too, because we don't live alone. And so that, that does give meaning uh, to my life on, a, on an everyday basis. We don't live alone. I mean, that is a really important and interesting idea that we're going to be unpicking again in a moment. If you want to hear that conversation, you can subscribe directly via Apple or Spotify. We're also available on Amazon Music. If you want to become a supporter of The Meaningful Life and get access to all of this, here comes the details. You've been listening to The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall. You can follow Andrew on Twitter, like him on Facebook, and please leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. Making, editing, and distributing The Meaningful Life comes with substantial costs, and we'd like to ask for your help. Visit our website, andrewgmarshall.com forward slash podcast, where you can join our supporters club and unlock bonus material for every program, send in a letter to be discussed by Andrew and his guests, and join a community of other people seeking to make their life meaningful. At the gold level, you get even more benefits. Production of The Meaningful Life with Andrew G. Marshall is by Michael Dooney. Social media by Madeleine Healy. Sound engineering and theme tune by Sebastian de la Luz Mendoza. And I'm Susie Colick. Please tell your friends and spread the word. Thank you.